I mean, I think the one thing that everybody can agree on is that fast fashion is not sustainable. You're listening to episode number 57 of the Self-Care Sunday podcast, a minimalist media project by Kaylee Reed. New episodes are uploaded only on Self-Care Sundays, and today's episode is the first in the fashion sustainability series that I'm doing in celebration of New York Fashion Week coming up. If you don't follow me on Instagram at kaylee.e.r, I am traveling to New York this year, this September for New York Fashion Week, and I thought a lot about what kind of content I wanted to create around New York Fashion Week. Uh, The fashion industry is notorious for being one of the worst industries environmentally, but also for our mental health. And so I decided to do a sustainability and self-care series around the fashion industry, interviewing various designers, talking about slow fashion, sustainability in fashion, and what it's like to be a designer, um, how it affects your mental health, all of those great topics that we love to talk about here on Self-Care Sunday. So today's episode is an episode with my friend and designer slash content creator out of Toronto, Dee Silky. Dee is not only a surface designer and fashion designer who has created multiple collections overseas and here in Canada, she is also the host of the Dose of Dee podcast where she interviews fashion personalities and fashion designers, people in the industry out of Toronto, and she has some opinions about what sustainability actually means in the fashion industry and the pressures on small designers to be quote-unquote sustainable when they can't even sustain their own lifestyle most of the times. So today's episode, we talk about what sustainability actually means, what fabrics are sustainable, why people put so much pressure on small designers versus some of the larger corporations, and putting your money where your mouth is when it comes to being very vocal about these issues. Let's get into today's episode. Okay, so I was going back through old episodes of Self-Care Sunday because you were on episode 31, which somehow was a year ago, and we talked about money and religion in that episode. It's actually one of my favorite episodes, to be honest. We didn't talk much about fashion, and this episode I want to talk more about your creative journey and everything that has happened in Toronto since the move and since you've been there for a year. So I want to start with a little bit of a brief background because you're a surface designer by trade Mm -hmm. and you launched your namesake collection or brand, I guess, D Silky, firstly with a line of unisex boxers, which I want to talk about because I think it's an interesting segue into your next collection, which was a fully made in Canada collection. So the unisex boxers that you launched were made in China. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So what was the feedback like on those and why did you end up doing a fully made in Canada collection afterwards? So here's the thing. I have tried so many different avenues with my fashion. And originally the main reason that I did the boxers overseas was because I was having a lot of issues sourcing sewers where I was living. So at the time I was living on the East coast of Canada and I could find a lot of sewers who were doing sort of like custom one-off pieces. But in terms of finding someone who could go into production, not even who could take on the volume of work, but who knew how to do proper sizing and measurements, like it was impossible. 
So that was the first issue. The second issue was uh, if I could find someone, which I really couldn't, you know, I was offering to pay these people, but these people, I don't know if they weren't confident enough in their skills uh, or what, but they just, they, they, they shied away from the work. And so out of frustration, I went to China and my experience with that, I mean, at the end of the day, I did not continue to manufacture overseas, but just the long and short of it is, um, uh, the margins were great. The quality was fair. Well, I, I guess the, the actual products that I produced, the quality was good. But when I went back to get more products, the quality was not good. So that's why I did not continue to go overseas. But yeah, I mean, out of everything I've made, that's that's where I've made the most money, which was pretty crazy because it was only one pattern. It was only one design. And we sold thousands of dollars with, for those boxers. And what it also taught me was a lot about uh, body and, and body positivity and also creating sizes for all bodies. So we did a small, medium, and large. And I had a lot of people who wanted to pay for boxers, but the large just wouldn't fit them. So, you know, teaching me that not everybody is a size small and not everyone who's going to spend their money is a size small. So if you want to make money, you got to do those bigger sizes, but more on that later. And then to, to answer the second half of your question about manufacturing Canada. So after I produced the boxers, uh, my husband and I, we did move to Toronto and I was able to find sewers again, very expensive, but I was able to find sewers and pattern makers and people who could do proper sizing. And I wanted to produce a line made in Canada. It's something that I always wanted to do. Um, like you said, I'm a surface designer and I do a lot of dyeing and printing myself in house. And so that was really important to me was to make my own fabric and then turn that fabric into fashion. Um, I know a lot of designers in Canada, they don't make their, their fabric themselves. Um, and so I thought that that was sort of like a value add or something that made me really different than other brands. And so we produced this made in Canada line and it was a complete fail. And uh, it was a fail for a lot of reasons. One, I think just my own planning. So the jump between boxers and made in China to this made in Canada line. I mean, first of all, the price point was completely different and the customers that I had built up were not ready for that price jump, number one. And number two, the style was different. So one was loungewear or sleepwear and then the other was you know, high-end luxury streetwear. Yeah, totally different styles and aesthetics between mm. your first line, the boxers, and this like higher end collection, which was like slip dresses, shorts, skirts, yes. right? Yeah, yep. all beautiful. Um, Thank you. I'm really, I, I want to get into like some of the feedback that you got from that fully made in Canada collection because I think we talk a lot about wanting to see more stuff made in Canada. And I think you touched on a really important point, which is there's really not that much talent here in order to do that and do it at an accessible price. Like people just don't know how to sew like they used to. Yeah. Like there's just not as yeah. many sewers, which means that the sewers that there is are more expensive here than it is to go overseas. And so I want to talk about that flop in that Made in Canada collection, if you want to call it that, um, and what kind of the feedback was from people around price points and that sort of thing. Well, it's funny. In terms of feedback, I think that's one of the problems is I wasn't getting a lot of feedback. Uh, I was getting, you know, a few people commenting on my Instagram post or DMing me on Instagram saying, oh my gosh, this is so cute. How much? 
I would tell them the price and then they would say, oh, maybe when I have more money. And to be honest with you, I was already pricing those items lower than what they should be. So the Petra shorts that I made, which were a really beautiful pair of aqua shorts with a scalloped edge, those cost me $45 a pair just for sewing, just to make them. And that's not for the fabric. That wasn't for the zipper. That wasn't for the elastic that went in them uh, on the back. That was just the sewing. And I was selling, I was selling those for like 110 bucks. So first of all, it would be impossible for me to ever turn around and wholesale them. And like, I really wasn't making any money from it. Um, the other thing was, and I think this is what frustrates me about sustainable fashion is there's so many people, especially influencers squawking online about how important sustainable fashion is. But then when push comes to shove, they don't want to spend the money on it. And to say, Oh, you know, $110 is too expensive for shorts. It's funny because that summer I did a lot of market research and I was going, I went to the Eaton center and I popped into various different stores and Aritzia had shorts for $110 that were made out of polyester made in Vietnam. So if you can have the right, you know, if you have hundreds of thousands of dollars to pump into marketing, you can, you can get away with it. But when you're like a small startup and you're still developing your clientele, marketing to the people who say that they care about sustainability, it's not going to work because of course, if someone hasn't like, of course, everybody wants to do what's good for the environment and wants to have their clothing made in Canada. But, but when it comes to spending your hard earned money, when you're used to, you know, buying things at Zara and H and M, it's just a, a major disconnect. Totally. Yeah, it is interesting how bigger brands that don't necessarily manufacture ethically, don't use like premier fabrics, can get away with charging so much more simply because the brand name and the marketing, right? Well, and then, you know, just to kind of segue on, you and I had a really interesting call the other night about what does it even mean to be a sustainable brand? And my issue is, is I think that there's actually sort of three pillars that go into the definition of sustainability. And those would be, um, you know, being environmentally friendly, being socially conscious, and also being, um, economically conscious. And what's really frustrating me as a designer is that there seems to be this huge info in or sorry, this huge emphasis on the environmental aspect of sustainability. And when you just focus on that, you're, you're kind of like leaving out these two other very important parts of what that definition even means, number one. And then even if you're just going to focus on the environmental impact, there's massive debates going on about what that even means. So to me, I, I use a lot of silk with my brand, uh, hence T-Silky. And, you know, silk is a biodegradable fabric. It's something that is, you know, it's always been one of the world's most luxurious fabrics. So it's if you have a garment that's made out of silk, chances are that's going to be passed down for generations. It's something that it's, it's a staple of your wardrobe. It's a classic. Like think of a silk scarf to have a, a beautiful silk scarf in your wardrobe. That's something you're going to have your whole life. Right. Um, and so to me, silk is a very quote, 
sustainable fabric, unquote. Um, it doesn't take a lot of harsh chemicals or water to break it down. It's something that will disintegrate over time. Um, and to me, you know, I kind of look at synthetic fibers as like, ew, like, ugh, you use plastic for your fibers, like what? And, and like, oh, you have to use so much water and chemicals to break it down at the end of the day. Like, how is that sustainable? But it's funny, I had a meeting with, um, I had a meeting with a brand last week, a, a high-end luxury brand, and they were saying that they use only sustainable fabric or sorry, synthetic fabrics, because that's more sustainable for the environment because it it uses less water in the beginning of the process than a, a fabric like cotton, for example. And they actually don't consider cotton to be a sustainable fabric. And I just, my mind was blown because if you're telling me that cotton is not a sustainable fabric, like I don't even know what, what is and what isn't anymore. Right. Like I'm, I'm so stressed out. <laughs> well, that's super interesting that you can have two completely opposite perspectives of what a sustainable fabric is. And both can essentially be right if backed up yes. in the right way. Right. Yes. So that's right. Well, and that's my, but that's my problem is like, especially online and on Instagram and, and with these like influencers, they're throwing these terms around and making these assumptions and writing these blog posts, like as if things are fact. And I think the fact of the matter is it's just too new. We're still figuring it out. And by, you know, throwing these terms around and making these assumptions, it's really, really, really hurting new designers because there's so much pressure as a new designer from all aspects. And then when you have people that are, you know, accusing you of not being sustainable or pressuring you to be sustainable, and then what does that even mean? Like not to mention the amount of risk financially that as a new designer, you're already putting into your collection, but then to, you know, have this pressure to do all these, to jump through all these loopholes that, you know, have not been established yet. It's a huge liability. Yeah. And something that I always find really interesting is that all of these voices seem to come out the loudest onto the small designers, the independent designers that are like just starting out, just trying to break through instead of boycotting H&M, saying the same complaints to Zara, Victoria's Secret. Like obviously the big brands do get complaints and uh, negative feedback too, but it's like when you're an independent designer and people hold you to these like super extremely high standards because you're just starting out and you're trying to do something good. But if you're not good in like every single aspect, people kind of discredit you. I mean, I think the one thing that everybody can agree on is that fast fashion is not sustainable. And so exactly what you just said, why are we not putting more pressure on those brands? Those brands are doing nothing beneficial for anybody. I mean, they're hurting the environment. They're hurting the people that work for them a lot of the time. I mean, sometimes it it does help women, for example, escape prostitution. Um, But a lot of the times they're employing young children. Um, You know, it's just, there's a lot of negative consequences that come from fast fashion in terms of sustainability, not to mention how much they hurt the economy in terms of people supporting local. And that's the other, the other main thing that I think we should be talking about when we're talking about sustainability is the actual, you know, 
economic ecosystem because there's just it's just insane to expect a, a brand new designer to manufacture where they're from, you know, if it if it is North America, um, and then to use fabrics that are you know maybe made from water bottles or maybe made from because and then you know like again back to the fabric that's so tricky because bamboo for example yes that's made out of wood but it does use a lot of water so is that or is that not you know sustainable but it's just it's just too much and and last year the big thing and the pressure on these new designers was body positivity and body diversity and and that was so much pressure because to to do a run and to go into production and to do size you know zero to to 24 that's just so much money if you're gonna pattern grade all those sizes buy then a fabric for for all those sizes do multiple of each size and then to say oh you know you also have to have fabric that's X amount of dollars per meter, you know, 10 times more than what you would have paid normally. I don't know how you're expected to do, to, to produce this, especially when you don't have the clientele built up who will actually buy that at that price point. Totally. Well, I think, so I want to touch on something here because I think a lot of people don't actually understand what it takes to develop uh, clothing in different sizes. So can you just like mm. briefly walk through the process? So let's say you're a designer, you've created sizes small through large because that's maybe what you think is going to sell the best or what you think your clientele is and people want extra large or double XL. What is the process of actually creating another size for that garment? It's not just like you can just create an XL, right? Like... Well, that's a, that's a really good question. So first of all, I think we need to break it down. So a custom piece or bespoke that is when I would take, okay, Kaylee reads measurements. Your bust is this many inches, your waist is this many inches, whatever. And it would, it would fit you perfectly. And even though traditionally in a store, let's say you wear a size small or a size extra small, even if I were to put the garment that I made specifically for you on another individual who wears the same size as you, it might not fit them perfectly because your hips might be a half an inch wider, for example. So that's custom, that's bespoke. Then if you get into sizing, you you would think, okay, the universe has a universal small. It has a universal medium, a universal large. That's actually not true. It's specific to the store. So, you know, it is more or less the same, but you may have noticed even yourself when you're shopping that a size small is actually a little bit bigger on you in some stores than others, for example. So when you're starting out and you're doing sizes, you have to pick what you are going to make your size small. And that is based off of a body that you pick. So it kind of does start from a, a custom size body and then you would, you know, build it up or, or down from them. Um, if you're working with someone really good, I work with a, with a lady, she does most of my sewing and she's amazing. She's got like 20 years in the industry. She's so good that she actually doesn't do patterns for me, especially because I'm not, the stuff I'm doing right now isn't going to product into production. Um, I'm just doing like custom pieces for clients and, and one-offs. And so, She's amazing and she can just like whip it up. I send her the measurements, bada bing, bada boom. But if you're going to do like a, a production run, you need to have a pattern. Now, old school, the old way, it's done out on a piece of paper and you take that piece of paper and then you, you place it onto the yardage of fabric, you cut it out and you sew it. Um, but what you can also do, it's called a digital pattern and you would have that actually in the computer and that can print it out onto like a tracing paper and it can print it out in multiples over and over again. So instead of having this one sort of stencil that you place on the fabric, trace, cut, lift, 
move over, repeat, it, it almost does like a repeat pattern on yards of paper that you place over the, uh, the fabric, which, you know, it takes a little best, little bit less time when you're actually making the garment. If you have the, the, block patterns, um, in repeat, but it is more expensive. Um, you're looking at about $500, you know, anywhere from 150 to $500 for a digital pattern. That's just a pattern for one garment. That's not the fabric. That's not the sewing. That's not the notions. So let's say you've created these pieces, small through large, you want to create the Excel, you're looking at 150 to $500 just for the pattern. That's not any clothing at all. That's just like to create the actual new size. Well, once you have, especially if it's digital, like once you have sort of like your block pattern, then, you know, it is cheaper to keep adding sizes because you're really just adding like a couple inches, but you still have to pay for every size that you do. Um, especially if you're working with like an old school pattern maker, that's doing it like tracing it on paper, then you have to pay for every size. Um, and so, so yeah, like that's just your pattern. That's just your, your basically your blueprint for your sewer or your manufacturer to actually make your garment. Um, then sewers here, I've in the past two years of living in Toronto, I've worked with a handful of sewers and, you know, they're charging between 35 and $45 an hour. And you just have to trust that they're doing things as fast as they can while maintaining quality. Right. So <laughs> I mean, that's more money than I make an hour. <laughs> it's more money than a lot of people make an hour, honestly. Yeah. And so when you have to pay that per hour plus everything else, and that doesn't even include, you know, any ads you're paying for, your website fees. I mean, you and I had this conversation the other day. Most of my sales like come from Instagram. And so I'm even questioning whether or not I should keep my online e-commerce store up and running because right now all my orders are coming in through Instagram. I, I rarely have an order come in from the online store and you have to pay a service fee. Plus, if you do sell something from your website, they get a chunk of that. And, and that's, you know, that's the bare minimum you're going to need as a startup fashion designer. That's not to mention, you know, any networking events that you're going to, any fashion shows you have to pay to get into, um, anything else you're doing for marketing and promotional. If you're doing a fashion show yourself, that's about $10,000. So if you have all these fees that you're paying monthly, um, and that's not even your living, that's not your rent, that's not your groceries, that's not your transit bill or your car insurance, you know, I, I, I don't, I mean, I, you and I talk about this all the time. It's just so much money. And if you don't have that money coming in, um, from other sources other than sales, it's, it's, it's pretty much impossible. And then, oh, okay, make it sustainable. So just charge, you know, tap on 10 times more the cost of what you already have going on. <laughs> well, yeah. So I think it, it's ironic that people are very concerned about sustainability and yet there's not as much focus on the sustainability of the designer's life, like, mm. like sustainable mm -hmm. wages, basically, sustainable economy, um, that part of the conversation is really not talked about as much as the sustainability of fabrics or, you know, uh, environmental sustainability. And I really do think that there needs to be an emphasis on both because as we've talked about, like there, we designers need to be making living wages. If we want to have sustainable clothing brands, like we need to be able to pay what it costs so that designers can keep making what they're making. And so, well, that's just it. Sorry. 
Sorry, no, I was just going to say um, something that we haven't talked about is cost of inventory and um, sitting on inventory because that is something that also comes into play with uh, buying and you know running a fashion label is if you produce let's say a hundred pieces of this amazing sustainable garment. And it doesn't matter what it's made of or, you know, what the style is. If it doesn't sell, you're sitting on inventory that has to end up somewhere, right? Like, where does that go? Yeah. So, I mean, we talked about my my Made in Canada line from uh, Silky Spring Summer 2018. That is sitting in my living room right now. Um, I still have leftover boxers left. So I have about seven dollars to $10,000 of inventory sitting in my apartment right now. And, you know, it's almost like food fashion. So it expires, right? In the sense that styles come in and out. Um, and so the boxers, I could probably hold on to them for, you know, a, a, quite a while before or if ever they'd they'd go out within my lifetime. But the Silky Spring Summer is a little bit more trendy, especially the shorts. And so the longer I hold on to those, the the shorter their life expectancy gets. And that is something, you know, that fast fashion, even even those guys that are selling just like hundreds of thousands of units constantly, they still have so much inventory left over at times, which they burn. They They literally just just burn it. They burn it. Yeah. So, I mean, that's terrible for sustainability on so many levels, but like, I just think that the more there's this push for this quote sustainability, um, when we're not focusing on all aspects of what is sustainable, because I mean, you and I, we had a huge, I ranted to you the other night and you were like, but you're actually, this might've been with Cassandra Elizabeth. She's a, she's another designer, but I was ranting to one of you and, and you guys were like, yeah, but your line is sustainable. It's made in Canada. It's made out of a natural fiber. Like, why are you freaking out? And I'm like, because some people wouldn't consider it that, you know, like vegans, for example, have a huge issue with silk because silkworms make it. Um, and, and maybe people do see my line as sustainable, but I feel as a young designer, just so much pressure from so many angles to do everything right while still maintaining my voice and, and my ethics. And really to me, I don't give a shit what size you are. You can be a zero. You could be a 32. I don't give a shit what color you are. It, for me, it's all about like the BDE. And if you've, if you've got it, flaunt it. And for me, if I have a choice as a designer to make something that it, that covers every aspect of sustainability, or, you know, maybe it doesn't for me, it, it, unfortunately it does come down to money. Obviously I would want to pick the more sustainable route. Um, but if it's going to cost me 10 times more to produce something that is, you know, sustainable in every single way, I can't do that, especially when I just don't have the clientele built up right now who would be able to afford that. And so I don't want to put all the money into producing that and then have it sit there and just have all my money tied up in inventory. Does that answer your question? I kind of went on a tangent there. I love it. I love tangents. Um, We talked a lot about the financial sustainability of being a a designer in this space and what that means. I want to talk about mentally sustaining yourself. And you've touched on this a little bit, but along the way on this creative journey of yours, you launched the Dose of D podcast Mm. and kind of like stepped out of 
producing products? Like, can I say that? Like, you're not like actively creating collections, right? Yes. So I started the Dose of D podcast as a way to actually drive traffic to my online store. And I was hoping that it would be like this cool thing that my fashion brand did and that it would help me develop this, you know, cult like clientele and that my sales would just skyrocket. Uh, that didn't happen. But what did happen was that while I was chronicling my journey as a designer, so many people became invested in that story. And especially, you know, I have so many people that watch my Instagram stories and those people, you know, kind of love the extension of the podcast. And so that became my main focus. And so, you know, we're super lucky. We did get a sponsor this year, which is great. We're going into season two of the Dose of D podcast. And like I said, it really is, um, you know, it's a weekly interview series that chronicles the journey of myself and other creatives and creative entrepreneurs, most of them in the fashion industry, but not all. And, it has been a good outlet and, and a good way for me to explore these topics that drive me a little bananas sometimes. Um, because the thing with fashion is I, I, it's also not considered an art. And so, you know, there's, there's that pressure where if you're applying for a grant, for example, a lot of grants you're not um, eligible for because fashion is not considered a fine art. Uh, then there's the pressure of, you know, looking great all the time and who you're friends with and who, you know, and then there's the pressure of selling and, and selling your work. And, um, basically to answer your question, yes, I, I did step away from producing entire, you know, production runs and, and entire, um, collections within my line. But I, I now have been kind of doing some custom pieces, which you don't make as much money off of, but at the same time, you're not, you're not out anything because you're only producing when someone commissions you to do it. So it's great in the sense that you don't have that waste, which we talked about. Um, but it, it is a harder, a harder model in some ways. Right. So I'm curious to know if you have been like less stress, like mentally more well since you started focusing more on the podcast? Because I personally feel like it is such a you thing. Like your podcast is just like the epitome of you. Um, and we've talked about before, like how sometimes when you're designing collections and pieces, you're designing what you hope is going to sell or like what you think is trendy and it's kind of more external. Whereas the podcast I feel like has been totally you from the beginning. You've also interviewed so many interesting people. Oh my gosh. Wait, Kaylee, stop for a second. What? My mic is not f***ing plugged in. Oh my God. Okay. Well, whatever. Oh wait. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. It was plugged on the other side of my computer. I just had a heart attack. <laughs> leave, leave that in because, okay. For those of you that are listening, Kaylee and I were supposed to do this interview at seven o'clock. It didn't start till 10 to eight because we had so many tech issues. Okay. I'm so, I'm so sorry, Kaylee. Keep going. It's <laughs> so funny. Um, sorry. So do, is the podcast better for my mental health? Yeah. And like, I feel like you've also talked to so many interesting designers and like people in the fashion industry in Toronto and that you've learned so much. So I'm kind of just curious, like what you've learned and like how it's affected you mentally and like your stress and stuff. 
That's a great question. So I always knew even before I started the podcast that I wanted to have these really real conversations and I wanted to be able to ask the tough questions and basically just come out and say everything that I'm thinking. Like, how do you make money? How much money are you making? Like, I, I, I want to know, do mommy and daddy pay for the bills? Like, I, I want to know because I've, I'm trying everything here and I can't seem to make this work the way I want it to. So what are you doing? And, um, there have been guests that I've interviewed that I've actually not aired their episodes because I didn't feel like they were forthcoming enough on their episode, or I felt like maybe they were, um, not as transparent as I would want them to be. Uh, and, and then I would have guests that would come on that were super ready to be open and honest, but I chickened out and kind of beat around the bush and listening back to those episodes, it's actually given me courage to kind of go forward. And now that we have a full season under our belt, it's also given the podcast more credibility. So I am able to ask those tough questions um, as frequently as I would like. But yeah, we have been super fortunate to have some really high profile high profile people on the podcast. Um, so we've had like Joan Kelly Walker. She was on the real housewives of Toronto. We'd have Roger Ginrich, um, who is the director of a major fashion week in Toronto. Sorry if this seems like I'm name dropping. I am. (laughs) Um, but, uh, but yeah, so it's, it, it's been good. Um, this season, it's going to go even deeper. Uh, Like I said, I've gained confidence as an interviewer to to ask those tough questions. Um, but it's also, it's, it's still a really frustrating industry to be in. Um, the, the podcast, it is a little bit therapeutic that you get to hear that people are going through the same thing as you are, but ultimately my dream for the podcast and for the D silky brand is to make it right. Because I want to show other designers, emerging designers and and people, um, who are coming up behind me, like you can do it. And where there is a will, there's a way. And, and here is how I did it and take from this journey, what you will. So it, it, sometimes I get discouraged because I think, am I even proving anything? Like, who am I? I'm not an expert. I don't have it figured out yet, but I just keep reminding myself that it's about chronicling the journey. It's, it's not me saying, Oh, I know what's best. I'm still figuring it out, but I have learned a crap ton on this journey. Yeah. What do you think is like your biggest takeaway from talking to all of these people in the industry? Like, is there anything, has sustainability come up with people? Like has anything like that come up or is it more about their personal journeys? Well, I don't know if this is because I live in Toronto and Toronto is such a diverse city. Uh, I don't know if maybe other cities are getting this before we are and we're getting it late. So I don't really know if we're ahead of the, the trends or behind, but I do know that every year it feels like there's something, there's something else and it's super urgent and there's, and it's just like so much. And it, like every, every event you go to is like pushing this agenda. So last year it was like very much body diversity, 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 plus size, plus size, plus size, plus size. And I remember being so stressed out because at that time I was doing my collection that I had size small, medium, and large. And I just thought, holy shit, I've spent $7,000 legit on this collection. And that's just to produce three sizes. I don't have them any more money to produce another three sizes. Um, so I just felt like super overwhelmed and discouraged by that. 
number one. Number two, I also have a brain. And so I would ask other designers, um, especially ones who were actually doing that business model, at least more progressively than I was. And I said, like, are you even making money? Because if you're telling me, like, I remember I went to this documentary called Straight Curve and Tim Gunn was in it. And he said, oh, you know, these plus size women, they're itching to spend their money because there's just not enough out there for them. And so I thought to myself, well, shit, if, the, if I make a good ROI, if I make, you know, these bigger sizes, then sign me up. Um, and I would ask these other designers and they, they would say, like, no, I'm not making any money. Like, I, I'm literally not selling anything. So I felt pretty hopeless then. And then this year, the big thing has been like sustainable and, but it's very much sustainable, like eco-friendly and it's not even so much about, okay, but how are your clothes made? Where are they made? Who is making them? Um, and, and it's, it's, you know, there's this like huge hate for, for fur, for example. And I mean, I get it. Like, let's not kill animals that don't need to be killed, but I also eat meat. So I I think if an animal is being killed for their meat, you might as well use all of it. Right. And when you look back on what is it, Kaylee, what's the politically correct uh, indigenous first nation, like those people used everything and they had, you know, like some of the warmest clothes and and we live in Canada, like we need to dress warm. And so I, I personally don't have an issue with, with fur in some cases. And so it's just like, I just feel like you're always doing something wrong. And what I have learned is that yes, be aware of these things. Yes. Think critically about these topics, but like, just do you at the end of the day, just do you. I want to create clothes that make people feel confident. I want to make clothes for women who want to stand out in a room. If that's like a size 18, it's a size 18. I don't give a If that's made out of like a recycled water bottle material, awesome. I don't care. To me, if it's made out of fur, I don't care. Like to me, if I see a design and I like that design, which is what fashion is, let's not forget. I don't know why out of all industries, fashion is the one that has to be like so socially conscious, but we are. I think if it looks amazing and you're not hurting anybody, do it. Thanks so much for tuning into this week's episode. If you are just as interested in fashion, sustainability, and self-care as I am, make sure you hit that subscribe button. We have more interviews with designers coming in the next few weeks. Until next time, happy self-care Sunday, everyone.